Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. I'm going to be reading just verse 48 here in just a moment. You'll need to keep your Bibles open because there'll be several other verses that I'll be bringing to your attention. As you'll recall, a couple weeks ago, we began to deal with depression. Uh, We've been talking about using the year 2007 as our year to get whole. Our year to get whole. You're not born whole. You're born alienated from God. You're born distant from God. I know whenever you look at a sweet little baby, it appears as if, it appears as if, you know, there couldn't be anything more innocent. There couldn't be anything more lovable. And all those things are true to an extent. But you need to understand that as God graces our children in, in a measure as they're growing up, there comes a moment though that, that we walk into that, that, that time where we have to make decisions whether we're going to receive him into uh, hit, uh, we're going to receive the Lord into our life or not. Uh, we may be able to uh, go. Children are able, I believe, to go covenantally with the Lord for a season. But there comes a moment of awareness and understanding. And they have to personally receive the Lord themselves. And the reason is because all of us are born into this world in sin and selfishness. That's just an orthodox doctrine. And so uh, you did not come into the world whole. You did not come into the world with all the wires connected right. Now, add on top of that, most of us grow up in environments which cause, you know, twisting of the wires even more. What we find out is we're just, we're just not, we're just not living life like we could be living it. And so we've been attempting to uh, just teach and preach on topics that will cause us to become whole. And two weeks ago, we talked about depression which the Bible says is the spirit of heaviness. And then last week, as you will recall, I just got off a plane and ran into the building. So I still have to hook up to iTunes on the Internet and find out what I said because I don't remember. That day's kind of a blur. <clears throat> Apparently it was okay y'all came back. So, But I, I want to spring off, though, two weeks ago with regards to depression, and I want to speak just a few moments this morning on the concept of perfectionism, which is probably linked to pride. Perfectionism is probably linked into the spirit of pride. I can tell you right now that perfectionism can be linked to religion as well. And uh, last week as I was dashing back home from Baton Rouge and we started our trip about Saturday at noon and didn't get here till Sunday at 10 o'clock right on time, uh, I was tested and tried in every way imaginable with regards to the perfectionistic strain that is in my DNA. Uh, those of you that have hung around me for any amount of time, I, I like things outlined. Uh, order's nice. I want it to go right. If it's not going right, I don't, I don't like that. It, and it, there's just something in me that just, that just gets stressed. And so, here I am going home and I'm, I'm missing flights and I'm not making my connections and there's mechanical failures and I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with people who are acting like ding-dongs and I'm just, you know, uh, I, you know, this, and, and I am, I mean, I'm on overload. I'm overloading. And, and, and I said, Lord help, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about perfectionism and he says, I know. And so, because my mind was a blur, I thought maybe I shouldn't share everything that was going through me at that particular moment last week, and I'm going to share a little bit more 
because I'm in a little bit better spirit this week. So we can press through this particular area. I've called the lesson this morning, getting free from being perfect. Getting free from being perfect. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 48. These words in my Bible are in the red, which means Jesus was saying this. We read, therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I know whenever that verse is taught, depending on the church maybe you grew up in, there are a couple different perspectives that I've heard taught and sprung from those verses. I've listened to people from the background, we call it Calvinism, that may not mean much to you, but there's a strain of understanding out there that obviously we're all sinners and the stain of sin is so deep there's nothing we can do in order to merit any type of favor or any type of work from God. And so I've heard that verse taught from the angle that Jesus was saying something or throwing something out that was unattainable. It was absolutely impossible. And he spoke it in order to put within the hearer's hearts the frustration of knowing that there was no way that they could ever be airless. There was no way they could ever walk through life and do things absolutely perfectly. And so Jesus just announced this saying, declaring who God is, and uh, what he wants from us, knowing full well that it would frustrate us. Knowing full well that, that there was no way we could live up to the command that he was making there. That was one option and one instruction I have heard. I grew up in different circles, though, than that instruction. The circles I grew up in actually believed, and I will explain to you why, that was a command, and it should be embraced. And, and it should be understood, and it should be attempted. The literal... The little Greek word perfect comes from uh, telos, which means more than airless, it means complete. In other words, Jesus doesn't expect us to be airless. How many of you know, you, you came to church this morning, you haven't been up, most of you, for but a few hours, and you've not been perfect this morning already. I mean, something's gone wrong. I don't mean that you've sinned necessarily, but it doesn't mean everything's gone just like maybe you would have wanted it or maybe there was something you didn't do just perfect or like you got your cereal out and you spilled your cereal. You poured milk on it and it ran off the counter. I mean, I could name a hundred things that may have happened this morning, but you weren't airless. There were things that happened that, that went wrong. You may not have meant to do it. And, and so understand that when Jesus says, be ye perfect, he wasn't meaning everybody just be airless. But he was saying, be complete, be whole, be who you were designed to be and what God wants you to be. And, and that really is a better understanding of the word telos. But of course, whenever you translate something from Greek into English and people hear it, you know, they, they, they can kind of take it and run with it. And you've heard many of the stories that Trace and I grew, grew up in with regards to our background and we grew up in what we called the holiness movement and we focused in on living all out for God and certainly presenting a life that was holy and acceptable unto the Lord. And of course, we grew up with all sorts of bizarre and wild ideas and legalisms and, you know, we kind of laugh about it and make fun of it now and, and, uh, and yet that's what we grew up, grew up in because we were aspiring, we were aspiring to to be holy, we were aspiring to be perfect. And, and I can just tell you that in those particular camps that we grew up in, and they may be doing a better job now because it's been years ago since we fellowshiped in those areas, 
So, so I'll give everybody the benefit of the doubt that they may be doing better today, but I'm here to tell you there were a lot of messed up people that just, that just couldn't pull it all together. And it was because of the issue of perfectionism. Uh, we actually, in fact, we, we used to pull out a message that John Wesley actually preached. If I, None of you will do this. I know only I would do something like this, pull out Wesley's journals, you know, start reading what Wesley said. But um, he actually had a sermon that was entitled Christian Perfection. And, and he begins to teach on what the Lord meant by the word perfection. And, and so just to clear up the confusion once and for all, let me just say this. God does not expect us to be airless. God does not expect us to never make a mistake. However, he does provide a way, and the scripture is clear, to live above sin's power. He talks about dominion. He talks about being more than conquerors, overcomers. I do, I still believe this. I believe that there, there is a grace in God that allows me to exercise dominion over my fleshly passions. I don't have to stumble, bumble around and constantly be failing in my victorious Christian walk. I believe God heals, I believe God prospers, and I believe God empowers me to live victoriously in Him. I believe that. However, having said all of that, I don't believe that I'm going to be a perfect human being. What happens is, is one of two things begin to spring up. The first thing that springs up is we'll oftentimes hear the people say, well, you know, pastor, no one is perfect. You know, I heard you say that out of your own mouth. You didn't hear anything else, but you did hear me say nobody's perfect. So you know what? I'm just going to yield to all of my carnal tendencies, to all of my fleshly tendencies, to every temptation. You know, I'm not perfect. I, I mean, dear God, who can, who can ward off every temptation? And what happens is we begin to presume on the grace of God. Now the second tangent, and again, realize these are tangents. The second tangent is the group that says, I must perform. I must somehow uh, muster up all the wherewithal and perform to somehow merit value. And if I don't perform right, or if I don't perform perfectly, somehow God will not accept me. So therefore, I must, as best as I know how, be perfect. And what ends up happening with that tangent is, is that when we're not perfect, what we do is we either get the guilties or we, we hide it. And both of those are tangents. Now, I want to read to you just a couple of quotes I ran across. And these guys, one of them is Wesley, so this is from a long time ago. The other one is from a gentleman by the name of John Fletcher, who was a contemporary of Wesley. And, and they're just writing, but listen, they're describing some of their parishioners. They're describing some people that they've run into in the churches that they were a part of. Listen to Mr. Fletcher. This is what he says. Some bind heavy burdens on themselves of their own making. And when they cannot bear them, they're tormented in their conscience with imaginary guilt. Others go distracted through groundless fears of having committed the unpardonable sin. In a word, do we not see hundreds who, when they have no reason to think well of their state, instead think there is no hope for them whatsoever? Wesley wrote this in his journal. He said this, Sometimes... This excellent quality, tenderness of conscience, is carried to an extreme. 
we find some who fear where no fear is, who are continually condemning themselves without cause, imagining something to be sinful where Scripture nowhere condemns it, supposing other things to be their duty where Scripture nowhere enjoins it. This is properly termed a scrupulous conscience and is a sore evil. It is highly expedient to yield to it as little as possible. Rather, it is a matter of prayer that you may be delivered from this sore evil and may recover a sound mind. Now, I thought that was interesting as I was just reading from these gentlemen back in the 18th century. Now, I'll be honest with you. This works in a group of people, not everybody. Again, understand there are usually two groups of people. There's the group that has a conscience that's seared. You can't get through it. They're hard as a rock. You're trying to get them to wake up. They presume on the grace of God. They don't have any standard of life. They aren't worried about holiness. All they know is Jesus loves me. He winks at me. He lets me do what I want to do. And they are in rebellion. But then there's the other group on the other side. And that's the one I'm working with today. Now, I understand this group over here will love what I have to say, but they're not getting it. But I do need to talk to this group over here because you do get it. And this is the group that it doesn't matter what comes their way. They live in guilt. They live, live in condemnation. They're, they're continually striving when they ought not be striving and they should be resting. And they're dealing with these things of perfectionism. The most famous of perfectionists really were the Pharisees. They were the, they were the perfectionist elite because they had developed their whole system and, and as long as they lived up perfectly to their system, they were fine. They were self-righteous because they lived what they thought perfectly. The problem was Jesus would zip them in order to get them to break out of that mentality to understand they too needed a work of God in their life. And so, so I understand we always are working with tangents and people will run things farther than, you know, the teacher ever meant for them to go. But I, I'm dealing with the group right now that needs set free from the feelings of perfectionism because depression oftentimes is linked to perfectionism. I, I have met people who deal with depression. They, they are in deep clinical discouragement. And the reason is they feel like they're not being the mom they need to be, the dad they need to be. They aren't, they aren't breaking through their their areas, the kitchen doesn't get cleaned up as much as they think it ought to. They aren't putting food on the table as much as they ought to or cook. And they're just, they're burdened with all of this stuff. And, and, and it's causing them to be squished and pushed down. And you need to understand where God is in this matter and how he wants to lift you out of it. So I want to talk about perfectionism this morning. And, and what is perfectionism? Some symptoms. Let me give you some symptoms of this. Now, not everybody faces it, so just bear with me. That's not you, then you'll receive information and revelation this morning that you can help someone else with. The first one, what is perfectionism? Sometimes it's more easily described than defined. Number one, it's when you live under the tyranny of the oughts. It's a tyranny. It's a constant overall feeling of never doing well enough or never being good enough. In fact, the three favorite phrases when one is a perfectionist is this, could have, should have, would have. Could have, should have, would have. You're always striving, never feeling like you make it. It never, it's not that anyone else is cause, calling you to measure up. You're just not measuring up internally yourself. And it's the tyranny that's there, these oughts. Secondly, a symptom is self-deprecation. You never feel like you're good enough. You don't feel good about yourself. You just always 
are, are depreciating who you are. And since God always demands first place, and since you demand first place of yourself, uh, there's always this feeling that you're not quite doing what you ought to be doing. And so what happens is you fail, and once you fail, you just send yourself back to the salt mines. You just send yourself back to go, and, and you depreciate who you are and what God has created you to be. Number three is anxiety. Usually a perfectionist has this giant umbrella of guilt that overshadows their life. Once in a while it lifts, you have some sense of freedom. Usually I'm finding that if you're a perfectionist, when you go forward and you pray, you come to the altar, you spend time at the cross, you go to encounter, all these things are good and appropriate and in order and God will move and touch you and cleanse you and, and, and to a measure release you and you feel better for a little bit more. Uh, but all of a sudden you start living life and maybe a day or two later those nagging feelings come back again. And so you find yourself constantly, constantly, I surrender more, I surrender more. And understand, there will be more surrender. This is the hard part for me this morning, is that our current culture is such a presumptive culture that even as I teach this and helping some people who live under genuine condemnation of the enemy and trying to break you free, I'm risking at this particular moment ingraining in some other people their presumption that they don't have to do anything or begin to diligently seek God or aspire or pursue holiness of life. And so, and so I'm going to keep saying this because, because we need to be sure we're living as we need to be living before the Lord. And then finally, number four, a symptom of perfectionism oftentimes is legalism. The perfectionist who has this fragile conscience and this automatic guilt system is very sensitive to what people think of them. And since they can't accept themselves and they're constantly unsure of God's approval, what we begin to do is we begin to reach for the approval of everybody else. A perfectionist is easy prey for the opinions and the evaluations of other people. Every sermon, this is, this is how a perfectionist works right now. In this dynamic, as I'm teaching you, a perfectionist is listening to me. No matter what I'm teaching, no matter what I'm preaching, a perfectionist usually listens and says, hmm, I think he's talking about me. You, you probably have a little strain of that going in you. Now, this other group over here is going, hmm, I think he's talking about them. Perfectionists say, says, well, maybe if I, if I give this up, then God will love me. God will do this for me. Maybe if I add this, maybe God will love me or do this for me. Maybe if I try jumping through this hoop or there or that, I will experience power, peace, and joy. And the do's and the don'ts start to pile up because more and more people need to be pleased. And the halo has to be adjusted for this person. And the halo has to be readjusted for that person. And finally, you come under a bondage and a yoke. So they start regulations, which are seen and adhered to in order to more easily deal with their unhappy life. And it's amazing, a perfectionist, because basically they want approval from people, and yet at the same time they want approval from people, they're, they're the first ones to judge, usually. The fifth one is anger. Anger. Something terrible begins to generate in the perfectionist resentment resentment against the aughts resentment against that tyranny resentment 
against other people that may not do as much as they do. Resentment against God. Re- resentment against other Christians. And, 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 and all of a sudden that frustration begins to generate inside of a person. And anger begins to stir. Sometimes it's number six, which is denial. It's pushed down. It's suppressed. Maybe you got taught wrong. Maybe somehow or another things got twisted. Maybe there's a lack of honesty. I know people who would say at this particular moment, can I even admit that I'm not perfect? Can I just share this with you? I, I, I've done decided. I know Tracy's decided. We, we just, we declared it one more time even over Encounter Weekend. I'm just here to tell you this is going to be the light zone. And what I mean by the light zone is this. And that is that if you come in and you get your sin, your frailties, your faults under the light, that's the best place you can put it. That's the only way you can get free is when you get it under the light. When you begin to declare, this is who I am. This is where I struggle. This is what I go through. This is what my life is is all about right now. And, and, and you aren't expected necessarily to be perfect. Yes, we will challenge you to strive to please God and to, to begin to seek him diligently. And we will. We will perpetually challenge you to do that. But we want you to know that at this moment, if we're going to be whole and free and complete, you got to get it in the light zone. You don't hide it anymore. If you hide it, you will be isolated and alienated from God. You have to get free by first off saying, this is who I am, this is where I am, and I need help. And and, and for some of you, it needs to be, I'm not perfect. And if you can't say that and truly mean it by, by putting on the end of it, you know, whatever it is that you're not measuring up in, if you, cause I know a lot of people that will do this. You've heard me say this before. Well, I know I have my problems and I'm not perfect, but I'm going to share this with you. Every time, <laughs> I'm just, I'll just say it this way because it'll keep your attention and you'll remember it. Every time you get your butt in it, you have invalidated everything you've just said. I've heard people say, well, you know, I love you, but. Well, you know, I'm this and I I know, but every time that little conjunction is slipped in there and you say, but it invalidates everything you just mentioned up to that particular point. So, and I've heard this, I've heard people say, well, you know, I've got my issues and problems, but well, no, you're just saying that because you know, that's what people want to hear in order that you can at least acknowledge that you aren't perfect, but you're still going to somehow or another get around that. No, you need to say, I'm not perfect. This is what's going on. I need help. You can be helped then. You can be worked with. God can really set you free and get you right and rewire your brain and get some good things going on in your life. Let me give you just some root causes. These are just some things and that I've seen and want to share. Some people... They just have a, a natural personality disposition to lean towards perfectionism. I'll be honest with you. I, I have some choleric personality in me. And so there's, we, we use that by way of the lion. Those of you that were at the net meeting know what I mean when I say the lion. There's some lion that runs in me. There's some choleric in me. So I can tend to be perfectionistic at times if I'm not careful. And it sort of runs around with that personality type. And so I understand that some of you were born with the disposition already but there are some other things that can come into the equation that can lend itself to this tyranny. And I put just two down here because while I don't believe that we have to be 
subject to our environments or, or, or that our environments are determiners all the time of how we turn out. I, I have to be honest with you that whatever environment we've grown up in certainly has an influence and an effect on our life. You know, if, if, if you grow up on the other side of the tracks or, or if you grow up in you know, what we call the ghetto, or if you grow up in a, in a wealthy area, or if you grow up in certain areas of the country, if, if you grow up in a home that has certain characteristics in it, I'm not saying that your, the outcome is already determined, but I am saying it is of influence. I mean, we'd be foolish not to think there was an influence to that. And so there are a couple things here that I think are our primary influence. Number one is that if you happen to grow up in a home situation where your parents were unpleasable, now, that's not everybody, but for some people, they grew up never hearing an attaboy from mom or dad. They never heard good job. They never heard I love you. They never, they never heard I'm for you. They just never heard it. Now, I'm, we're not pounding moms and dads. We're just simply saying that, that if, you know, they might have had their issues. And, and so they're living out of their issues. But truth of the matter is, is that when we grow up in that atmosphere, we find ourselves constantly striving and never able to hear the attaboy or the good job that we so desperately need to hear. And so what some of us began to do was, in order to feel maybe loved, in order to feel accepted, we decided we'd perform. And whatever performance we were doing, maybe the guys would do athletics, they, we'd play sports, and we wanted to hear mom or dad say, hey, that was great, you did a good job. Or, you know, the girls, that maybe some music, maybe ballet, maybe you were in sports as well. Who knows what you were doing? But the fact of the matter is, you tried to perform in order to hear something say to you, you're okay, you're acceptable, we love you, and we accept you. I was watching the other day, uh, on television, we've kind of, for whatever reason, this is our first year, we, I know it's been on five or six years, American Idol and all the singing stuff that goes on, and we really hadn't gotten into it, but we sort of got into it this year, just watching all that was taking place, and when we started watching the early, uh, uh, what do they call that, auditions, we started watching those early auditions and all the people that would come through and, and you know, <laughs> you know what's funny? I'd be there on the elliptical machine, you know, watching American Idol. And of course, they're sending through these awful singers. I mean, and then they'd be sending through the great singers. And, and, and our joke is up here on the platform is, when, especially when we're singing, the joke is don't give pastor the mic. I mean, I think I'm a singer, but I know I'm really not a singer. I can play a, a musical instrument, but I really do understand that. But that's kind of our joke, and I have, I have sort of solicited that joke. But I'd be on there in the elliptical machine. Now, understand, I can't hardly sing a note. I mean, I've got about a three-note range. And, and, I'd be going, and I'd be evaluating the singers on there. I mean, of all things, me, of all people, evaluating singers. But there was this one young boy that came through. And, and they interviewed him. He was one of the, the people that they interviewed as he was going into his audition. And you could tell he probably had grown up, and I, I, I'm not casting a judgment, I don't know, but I could just tell a little bit by his demeanor, a little bit by the way uh, he acted, his speech. I, I, I'd just be, if I had money and I was a betting man, I'd have bet he grew up without a dad. I, I'd just be willing to bet. There was something that just said he was, he was fatherless. And uh, he said, before he went in for his audition, he said that uh, he'd never been affirmed in his singing. He never mentioned to dad. He said his mom never said good job. His mom never affirmed him, never encouraged him in what he was doing by way of his singing. And, and, and as he even would say that, you could see he was on the verge of tears. 
And so here he was at American Idol. And the whole time, no kidding, the whole time as he was sharing this in the video camera, for me, I would have thought he would be in there saying, oh, if I could just please Paula Abdul. If I could just please Simon Cowell, which is impossible, that ain't going to happen. Or Randy Jackson, if I could, you would think everybody, because a lot of them would do exactly that. They'd say, oh, if I could, if, if they'll just like me, if I know I can get Simon to like me, a lot of them would say that. But this young man kept saying, oh, that I'll get through so my mom will say good job. Can you just pause for just a moment and think for someone on national TV going into a type of audition like that with all the dynamics that were going on? Can you understand how powerful that must have been working in him? I mean, I mean, I cannot even fathom that. And he went in and he sang. He did a good job. They gave him the yellow slip to go on. I think at that time they were going on to Hollywood or wherever they were going on. And he goes out and he's in the stairs and he's flipping out his cell phone. And he says, Mom, Mom, I'm going to Hollywood. And you can't hear what she's saying, but you can begin to see the tears falling from his eyes. And he clicks the thing and he says, she told me, good job. I cannot even imagine... All the dynamics of that moment, and that's what was going on inside of him. She told me, good job. I'm telling you, there are a lot more people that never get their shot on American Idol that feel just that way. And what happens is it becomes this black hole that that tries to get filled in so many ways. because, Because we try to find someone to say good job and try to please because we don't feel accepted and and we want to hear those voices tell us attaboy you've done good that's great and all of us need a little affirmation i'm not saying that we don't need affirmation all of us need a little affirmation but the problem is until we get our relationship with god right and we get this relationship secured he's the only one that can fill up the black hole a black hole is infinite and only god is infinite and that's why you got to get God in the black hole. Because he's the only one that can fill up that insatiable desire. But, but that can be the breeding ground for, for perfectionism. Because, because I will do this. I will stick with this. I will be the best I can be, be at this. Because if I do this, someone will say good job to me. Someone will affirm me. I'm telling you, this is powerful. I can can tell you my own life because you you remember how all this started. All this started this year when I said I'm a jerk. Remember? And the thing I'll just say is that I'm not the only jerk sitting in church this morning. All right? How many? I hope you love this jerk because I love you. But I can tell you as I've just decided, I have just decided to figure me out. And one of the things that I started just digging around and and looking at and figuring out, because I'll be honest with you, you know, I'll analyze a lot of things, but oftentimes I won't analyze myself. You can can put me and drop me in another church somewhere and I'll analyze things to the nth degree and figure it out and organize it and administrate it. And I'm great, but, but try to do that to yourself. Some people never stop long enough. And analyze themselves for just a moment. And and I started to do that. And I thought to myself, you know, all of growing up, there were certain things that I always 
was doing and, and, you know, playing sports and trying to be the best at this sport or that sport, trying to do something that would uh, gather acceptance or, or some sense of validation. And you know what? I started to think about how even doing the work of the ministry is doing, because Trace will tell you, Trace will tell you that there was a time, I, I, gratefully, this has been broken through to a great degree, but to hear someone say, man, that's a great word. That's a good sermon. And why, at times and years, there was never enough in order to fill up the hole? Because truth of the matter is, only God can fill up the hole. He's the only one. Do you understand? When he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, the only way I can even begin to do that is when the perfect one fills up the hole. I mean, that's the only way it can work. And sometimes when we grow up in those environments, when... When there were unpleasable parents and we're trying to figure out how to get affirmation, it, it can be a breeding ground for perfectionism. Number two, sometimes home situations are unpredictable, unpredictable. It was Charles Dickens who once wrote, in the world of little children, the greatest hurt of all is injustice. A lot of homes are the breeding ground for emotional cripple and budding perfectionists. Because if you have a home that's unpredictable and it's emotionally unstable, then you need to wake up a little bit. You need to wake up and, and, and ask yourself, are you being selfish? Because you're programming, especially if you have kids in the equation, you're programming a generation for therapy. And, and, and so we as adults need to start being adults. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, thought as a child, acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And we need to put away some things. Some of us, some of us are still about seven or eight years old, but we're living in middle-aged bodies. And we've got to put away the kid stuff and say that we've got to become adults. And start bringing God's stability into our life in order that we can bring that stability into the situations that are around us. Well, how are we going to deal with it? Let's talk about breaking out real fast. Number one, people deal with it usually one of two ways. They usually break away, which means they enter into rebellion when they find out they aren't good enough, can't be perfect enough. They, they enter into rebellion. They leave God. They get away from the tyranny. They don't want to hear it anymore. It's probably the, the life of the prodigal in some ways. They just say, I'm, just, I'm going to get out of the house because I can't measure up. So they want to break away. The second way many people deal with it is through breakdown. The load is too heavy, I'm crushed, so they have a breakdown. Sometimes it will enter into total incapacitation. And so we've got to understand what is God's remedy for all of this? What's his remedy for causing us to be whole, complete people? What's the cure in this area? Well, I'm going to give you, and I could give you probably a list of ten things, and for the perfectionists, they'd be going, ten things, ten things, let me make sure. Oh, I missed, I missed number seven! I'm going to give you three things. Can you say amen? Number one. In Galatians 5 verse 1. We've got to get a revelation. I'm not talking about information. We've got to get a revelation of the cross. Galatians 5 verse 1. Says these words. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. 
all your issues, your depressions, your perfectionisms, your pride, all the psychological mumbo jumbo, all the things that you're saddled with that makes you emotionally crippled, that causes you pain, hurt, heartache. You need to get a revelation of the cross. I'm not saying you don't know the story. I'm not saying you don't know the gospel. I'm not even saying that you don't understand what it means to come and be saved. I, I full well believe most of you know that concept. But you have to have your eyes unveiled. You have to have the curtain drawn back on your eyes and your heart to get a revelation that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. You need to get that he carried, he broke, he paid for, he removed, he forever shattered every emotional hang up you got and you won't break through until you see what he did for you and you embrace that thing. A revelation. An unveiling. That's what we do at Encounter. We do our best to lead people to that moment whereby by the help of the Holy Spirit, their eyes are opened and they see all that he carried. And at that moment, there's a click that says, he carried it. I don't have to. I don't have to anymore. Now, that doesn't mean I, 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 I get out of the equation. I've got to let that work in me all the time. So this bunch over here that says, well, you know, I ain't perfect and Jesus carried it all for me. So I ain't doing nothing. That's not what I'm saying. You gotta let that work in you. You gotta let that power get inside of you that begins to, that begins to challenge the feeling and challenge the emotion and challenge the laziness and challenge everything that's going on in you and give you power to walk with Him as He's designed you to walk, not under condemnation, but with a sense of victory. You can do that. That's why, that's why, whether you hear it from Trace or me or a connect leader or anyone else, when we're looking at you going, you can do it. You can do it. Yes, you can. I refuse, I refuse to let anyone think right now. And I'm, I know, I know I'm, I'm on this, this borderline with people because you've got these people who are feeling incredibly condemned or guilty or whatever they're under. Be free because you can be free from the tyranny of it, but God can give you the power to aspire to somewhere you've never been. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. And we're going to we're going to we're going to walk in that. If you want to walk in that, I just done decided I'm walking in that. Amen. So you got to get a revelation of the cross. He paid for all of that. Not an information thing. We live in the information age. we got a lot of people who know about it, but it has to work in them. They, they know the story, but the story hasn't produced its effect in them. And, and, and this is what I fear, and I believe the Bible teaches it, that there are many people running around saying, I'm born again, I'm born again. Latest statistics tell us that 80% of America is born again. All I have to say is, I beg your humble. Because if this is what a nation looks like when 80% of its populace is born again, we miss something somewhere. They didn't go to post-encounter, obviously. Secondly, you not only need a revelation of the cross, but a revelation of grace. The hardest part of grace is the fact that it seems too good to be true. That's the hard, I'll admit that's the hardest part for me about grace. It just seems too good to be true. 
I, I mean that, that the God took upon himself all of my hang-ups and mess-ups and dysfunctionalities. That God took that upon himself, bore the penalty of it, satisfied the debt of it, declared me to be righteous despite of it, and now infuses me with power to break through it. Hallelujah. I'm glad I preach a victorious gospel. I'm glad that I know that I may not be who I was and I may not be where I'm destined, but I'm somewhere in between. And bless God, I am getting there. I'm going to get there. I am going to get there. Amen. We need a revelation of that. And unfortunately, we've, we've, we've had the presumption of that. We've not preached grace right in America. We've preached grace as being excused. Grace is not excusing you. Grace is empowering you. Grace is freeing you. Grace is helping you. Grace is sustaining you. Grace is propelling you. Amen. Paul said, I prayed three times to remove that thorn in my flesh. Then what did he say? Well, then your grace came and it excused me from it. He said, my, your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace will assist me, help me, keep me moving on, pressing me through. That's the grace of God. Hallelujah. The grace of God just blasts, blasts us out of our mess ups and blasts us out of our sins. That's the grace of God. That's the God I serve. Grace isn't just this sort of you know, mamby-pamby kind of, well, just live any way you want to, do anything you want. I don't care if you're depressed, discouraged, screwed up. I don't care. Just go be, just be free. Well, if that's your God, serve him. But my God is the one that says, I will set you free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith I have set you free. Hallelujah. I'll almost shout here in just a minute. Whew. Kick my shoes off and shout my socks off. That's what I'll do. And then, and then I just put this number three. I, I wasn't going to make this real technical because I know the group I'm working with. Number three is, can I just share this? You need a realization that, that the world's not perfect and you're in it. This is my last story and I'm done. I, you know, I always think I'm never going to talk as long as I do and then I end up talking. I just recently laid a new press and stick tile floor down in my kitchen. And uh, I was a little bit apprehensive about doing it for a couple of reasons. Number one is I didn't think I could do it. didn't think I had the skills to do it. And number two is I know that perfectionistic strain in me and in someone else that I won't mention. <laughs> that I knew where the expectation level would be on this particular home improvement. We are also weren't going to make it, you know, we, we, we weren't going to lay it just, just square to the house, but we wanted to lay it diamond-shaped. Diagonally, yes, we were going to be uptown. So, so I measured, you know, you do what you do and you get it measured and I follow the directions and I'm just, you know, I get it put, you know, and when you first start doing this, because it's press and stick, and you know, once you press and stick, I mean, it, it, it will be there through nuclear disaster. I'll tell you that, it, it, it ain't going anywhere. So we get it down, and then, and then, you know, I've got my straight edges, I've got my 90 degrees, I've got my T's, I've got everything I need in order to work on the floor, and we're starting to lay it out. I shouldn't say we. I'm starting to lay it out and, and, and making it look good, and, 
and, and getting it, you know, just right. And, and, and of course, I ran, I ran as much as I could before I got up next to the wall because that, it's just easier. So, so I ran it as close as I could get before I got up to carpet and wall and all the rest. And, and then, of course, got all that done. And then it was time to start running it to the wall. And so we're, I'm running it to the wall and, you know, you have to cut and stop and cut and stop and cut and all those sorts of things. But then you, you know how a kitchen is. Nothing, nothing, you know, you, you, you've got islands in the middle and you've got a stove and a refrigerator and a dishwasher and washer, excuse me, that's the, and, uh, you, you've got all these things that are there. You, you, you gotta go around, uh, you know, the molding of doors and all the things that you've gotta do. And you know, a door has, it's kind of an intricate deal. You go around that door because you kinda cut around it and that's got a little notch. And then you gotta, I mean, this is, and you're dealing with this, you know, press and stick tile and it's kinda thick and you know, you're trying to cut and, and make it just, and, and this is what I found out. And you may need to know this. Your house is not square. Your house, your house is not square. There was not a square corner in that room. There was nothing, there was nothing that was true. I, I mean, I got down there. Of course, you're down there on the ground, you know? Down there where the quarter round is. And I'm looking down the wall there. I said, Trace, you ever notice this? Man. Man, that thing looks like it's just kind of like a a stream that has just stopped and time froze. Did you see, man, it's just, there's not, that wall isn't even flat. And I'd look at that corner and I'd, you know, you get to a corner and, you, and you'd cut the thing, you know, and you'd use your 90 degree T to cut it and, and then you put that piece of tile up there and there'd be a gap, you know, a quarter of an inch gap. And you're going, how can that be? It's because you can own the best house in Charleston. And it's not square. It's not square. You could have paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's not square. And I remember there was a moment I just sat there on the floor. <laughs> and I wanted just to stop. I wanted to quit. I really did. I'm going, how? How can you do this? It's not square. How can you, how can you do this? That wall is not right. How do, how do you do this? It's just nothing is, it's not right. And, it just, it hit me that that's the same thing that goes through many people's minds when they live in the world. And they say, how do, how do I live in this world? When it's not right. Where things aren't square. It's not true. How do you, how do you, how do you navigate your way through all of these things? And there's something that just has to, be unveiled in your heart to realize that you live in an imperfect house and we live in an imperfect world. And as much as I want it to be perfect, I, I'm not ultimately going to make it perfect. In fact, we're all believing that there's going to be a day that the eastern sky splits 
And Jesus breaks through and he receives his own unto himself and he lands on this planet and he sets things in order once and for all. And for a thousand years, it will be true. Yes, it will. But for now, it's not square. And you're going to have to find the place in the cross and in God and understanding what he's doing in you. And you're going to have to do sort of like what I did with the floor. And you're going to have to say, okay, Lord, I know what you're doing in me. I know the house that you've given me to work in. And somehow or another, I'm going, I am going, I am going to see this assignment completed. I'm going to see this thing come to fruition. I'm going to, I'm going to complete the thing that you've asked me to complete, even in the midst of all the imperfection. Lord, you're going to help me. You're going to grace me and help me. And I want to do an excellent job. I want to hear the attaboy, but ultimately you're going to have to help me. To navigate this thing. When I was in Baton Rouge. We listened to Reinhard Bonnke. And he told a story of a guy. That was healed. That didn't have a part of his leg. And he told the story. I'll tell it quickly and I'm done. He said that they prayed for him. And that God. It was one of those African moments. Where God actually grew a limb. Documented all the things that happened. We never see it in America. Because we just don't need God. Like they need God. But. Nonetheless, they prayed and the limb grew. And, and God did a, just a creative miracle, a creative work for that man. But he said the most interesting thing, and this is the part that had us all chuckling, is that when God did that creative act, that creative miracle, that not-to-believe miracle, he said that when the guy got up and actually walked on this new limb, that, that his, one of his kneecaps was located here, and the other kneecap was located kind of in a different location on the leg. He said, so he kind of walked a little funny. And he said, God must have a sense of humor. Because he literally got his limbs extended, but the kneecaps weren't exactly the same. And I remember when he told that story, and I was kind of thinking about this whole particular area, and I thought to myself, you know, God healed, but he didn't even heal him perfect. Are you with me? I believe that kneecap will get adjusted one day. Yes, thank you. But even in that healing, it wasn't absolutely perfect. And there was something in me that just rested for a moment and said, God, I understand that you're even working in an imperfect place. And somehow or another, you can love and you can speak and you can work and you can do and you can help and you can strengthen and you can oversee and you do your work even though you work in an imperfect place, and indeed, you are perfect. And you know what? I'm just talking to folks this morning, letting you know that, that God knows where you're at. He knows what's going on. He knows what you're facing, and here's the good news. He wants, to, he wants to bring you out. He wants to set you free. He wants to give you rest. He wants to give you peace. He wants to infuse joy in your life. He understands you're living in a situation that's not square, and you can make it. You can make it. Yes, you can. Getting free from being perfect. I know I'm never going to be perfect. God knows I'm not perfect. I want to be. I want, I want to be just everything I can be. I know I, I'm not going to be. But if he gives me grace and strength, I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to keep moving to be more like him. Amen. Stand with me, will you? Father, I ask right now that your spirit would begin to move in this place. 
I ask you right now, Holy Spirit, that you just do the work that you've been assigned to do with people in order to deal with them in exactly the way they need dealt with. Lord, I'm quite sure that there are going to be people who will presume upon your grace. And I'm asking you right now for the presumptuous bunch, Lord, that you would cause them to pause and ask themselves, have they really allowed the grace of God to work in their lives to such a degree that it's empowering them to arise and to pursue holiness, to pursue what you would have for their life. But Lord, at the same time, I know I'm dealing with a group over here that lives under the condemnations and the the guilties and self-imposed wounds and inflictions and frustrations and maybe some of the things that I've even mentioned. Maybe they grew up in some dysfunctionality. Maybe, Maybe they've broken away and they've rebelled. Maybe they've just broke down and collapsed and become incapacitated. Lord, I don't know. I, I look at a group of people. And Lord, we don't have the largest of churches, but we have a good group here this morning. And I know just in this size group, there are people from every conceivable background, circumstance, and situation. That if you don't come and talk to them individually, there's no way they're going to get help. So I pray right now, Lord, that you'd begin to talk to each person in this room. That you would call them out by name. That they might hear in their heart, the ears of their heart, what you're asking of them to do this morning. Lord, I'm just believing that you're going to do a work that I couldn't do humanly. But that somehow, just by divine encounter this morning, you can begin to do in people's lives. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. And be not entangled again into a yoke of bondage. Understand, Jesus isn't the one that's binding you up. He's the one that's setting you free. And He set you free for you to serve Him utterly, completely, and wholly. Understand why He set you free too. You know, we had a great weekend where people were set free. But I'd be willing to bet right now that there are people that are still needing to be set free. There are still people here this morning. You didn't go to Encounter Weekend for whatever reason. You might not even known it was available. There's no problem. There'll be more. But why wait until the next weekend when maybe this morning there's a grace that's being dispensed that can set you free in an imperfect world? It can set you free to just live and love Him fully. How about it? Do you want to be set free? I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to speak that word, the freedom word. I'm going to speak the delivering word. I believe God's grace is going to come and empower people this morning to blast them out from where they are currently to where He would really like for them to be. It's not going to be another yoke or a bondage. You've been infused with his power. His yoke is easy, remember. His burden is light. Let him do that, will you, right now? If you're needing, if you're needing just that infusion of divine grace, I want you just to slip out. And once you come, there's crosses at the front that are just representative emblems of what 
God has done for you in Christ Jesus. And I'm just going to pray this morning. We just, there's an anointing here. I believe there's a residual anointing to set folks free. However you want to come, you're at liberty. You can stand, you can kneel, you can do whatever you want to do. There's no, there's no requirement for how you get before the Lord. Is it okay if Jesus sets people free if we just tarry for just a moment? I wouldn't want anybody to walk out the door and not feel like they didn't have a moment for whatever reason. I, I, I imagine there are people right now that are struggling with the thought, I can't let them know I'm not perfect. I can't let them know it's just not perfect in my life. You know what? We already know it. You're the only one that's dealing with the issue. You're the only one that's trying to fool yourself. God loves you. He understands exactly where you are. And we love you too. And understand that you need the grace of God. I need the grace of God. And I wouldn't want to cut anything off too quick. That would keep you from just saying, you know, I give. Lord, help me. Help me, help me, help me. Help me. I'm just going to take another moment or two. I'm glad God's patient and loving and kind. I'm glad the Lord is slow to anger, full of mercy. But you need to understand that His invitation is not everlasting. His invitation has a season. And, and while there may be more seasons and opportunities, I don't know the timetable, but this is your moment to say, Lord, I, I want, I want wholeness. How about it? Just another 15 seconds and then I'm going to pray. I got 10 seconds. Tell you what I want the congregation, just lift your hands right now and extend them to these that have presented themselves here. And we're going to believe right now, we're going to pray that God's going to infuse them. And those of you that have gathered here, some of you gathered around the cross or some have presented themselves at the altar. This is what I want you to do. I want you to let the Lord begin to just just work in you and let, let it be just a soaking thing in you, the grace of God that will set you free from your self-imposed issues and allow Him to infuse you with power. To yes, love Him all out, work for Him all out, do, do all out for Him but in a way that can give you peace and rest. Maybe he's getting your priorities shook too. I mean, I'm just telling you, God, this is, we want to be whole, but our problem is we want to be whole and retain our own sovereignty and retain our own, our own destinies and, and, and declare we're going to choose for ourselves, and, but make me whole. And that's not how it works. The Lord says, you want to be whole? Give me everything. Give me, give me your life. Give me family. Give me your schedules. Give me your priorities. Give me your work. Give me your marriage. Give me everything. That's the deal. Jesus didn't die so he could take part of you and, and then infuse everything he had. This is the deal. He gave all of himself so you would give all of yourself. And when you make the transaction, he took upon all your sin. And what he does is now give you all his righteousness. That's a deal better than any of us deserve. But it's done his way. So do that. Make that exchange right now. 
I'm going to, I'm going to pray. I want everyone that's gathered congregation join with me right now. I want every voice to pray in the name of Jesus. We seek you, O oh God. And as a people, we seek wholeness. We seek order. We need grace and we do need mercy. Forgive us, O oh God, for our presumptions and our arrogances and our pride. Forgive us, O oh God, for the condemnations and, and, and the self-inflicted wounds we put upon ourselves. Help us to navigate through an imperfect world and an imperfect people as we yield our lives to a perfect God. We are open right now for an infusion of grace. Pour it out, O oh God. Put it in me. Let it come upon me and overtake me. Might it just, Lord, fill me. Give me the peace of God, the joy of the Lord, the strength of God, that I might be all you designed me to be. And I declare today that every oppression, every bondage, every stronghold is being broken over my mind, my emotions, in my soul. I'm being set free by the power of the cross. You paid for everything I need in my life. So I receive it. Let it work wholeness in every aspect of my life. I receive that in Jesus' name. And I want you guys, as you're down front here, I don't, I, I'm, I'm going to release the congregation and I'm going to dismiss them. And, and I know for some of you, you're prepared and you'll get up and you'll go and that's fine. But if you need to hang around for just a moment and let God work something in you for just a moment, don't go too quick. We're not going to turn the lights out on you. All right? We're not, we're not going to run you out of the house of God. So if you need to just hang tough here in the altars, then you do that for a moment. And let the Lord work something in you. Don't just think, well, he, he prayed and I said, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm going on. No, no, let him work something in you. And lay hold of it by faith. Press into the Lord right now. Don't, don't leave. Don't leave until you feel like I, I got a hold of something I never got a hold of before. I think we give up too quick. I'm not saying to strive. I'm just saying to let your faith tarry for a moment. And let God touch you. And don't leave before that moment. But, but what, if the, once that moment comes and you feel like, okay, I pressed through, then that's cool. You're at liberty to go. But right now, family of God and congregation, I speak a blessing over you. I thank you for your patience. I thank you that you, sur you serve God and you're making a difference wherever God has placed you. I just speak a blessing as we go our separate ways. Lord, bless your people. Help them, empower them. Let your grace now spill over on them so that they may go from this place and let it be said of them, these people are different. They're different. And let those be opportunities to share the greatness of our God. Lord, I thank you that you're doing just that in so many people's lives. So we dismiss with your sense of presence in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love each other fellowship with each other.
And I know there'll be others down front here that'll tarry for a while, but God bless you and you are released.